This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Signals from the Frontline. You're every not live Wednesday podcast brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org, where you can get your tabletop gaming goodies at a discount all the days of the week. I am your host, Mr. Rhesius, and with me all the way from the savannas of Africa, the, the rhino. pudgy parasarium. The pudgy parasarium. It's the rhino's is, ancestral. Is a parasarium the Latin term for a rhino? No, no, no. That's uh, rhino is actually the Latin rhinoceros. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I think rhinoceros literally like translates to like rhino or horned, horned Fiend. thing, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I I used to know this back in college. Well, no excuses, rhino. Everyone knows rhinos have great memories. <laughs> even better eyesight <laughs> anyways just kidding they're almost blind yeah, that's why they tend to run over people and stab them when blind they're and dumb yeah. cute though very cute and also like incredibly social animals if you have a rhino by itself they die of loneliness yes they're they're actually very large sensitive Beasts. They're a beautiful animal. Not unlike yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's why my spirit animal. <laughs> what would be my spirit animal? Your I... spirit animal would most definitely be, you know that homeless Tiger. person we saw in, in Vegas? Homeless uh, person? <laughs> If I could choose one, it would be a tiger without a moment's hesitation. I do not. I don't think you know the tigers are the most intelligent predator, and that if you had to have any, if you had to be a prey animal and you had to have any predator chasing you, you had a fighting chance. A tiger would be your least likely chance to survive. They are the apex predator, like on land. Like period. On land, I've they like they will they wreck anything else. Yeah, like they, they're just amazing. And they're beautiful animals. Anyway, we're going off, off. Into the weeds. Anybody who's friends with me on Facebook knows how much I like animals, though. I post animal videos almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> I can't big, get enough of we're them. We're big animal fans. You're back to the almost live cast signals from the front line. Yes. And so, again, why we aren't live is because we still don't have internet. We're hoping to get that worked out with the, with the city and Cox Communications here. It's uh, annoying how slow the public sector works, but it is what it is. And we'll wait until it's ready to go. But in the meantime, you get to listen to the sultry sounds of our sweet voices coming at you over the interwebs. So let's talk about what's going on. Episode 672 of the venerable Signals from the Frontline, a part of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Check it out. Uh, we're working on a website specifically for the FLGN where you can very easily come and listen to all the goodness of Stat Center. Uh, their last episode, they interviewed Lawrence Baker and his undefeated Grey Knight list, which has quickly become quite the talk of the webs. Grey Knights are dramatically better than they were uh, after uh, Psychic Awakening and Chapter Approved. They're easily a top, top-tier top book, in my opinion, now. And uh, that's been a very popular episode. Also, you can check out The Art of War with Nick Nanavati and co. Uh, also, John Damaris is on that one. And they talk to uh, an Australian gentleman whose name is escaping me right now who did very well. He went undefeated with Gene Sealer Colt. I believe their last one was actually Brad Chester. Oh, it was. Their it was. The last one was the, Brad Chester, yeah. The Chesticles. Who, who, by the way, and they mentioned it on the podcast as well, is one of the most the most underrated best player yeah. by a mile. 
You don't hear his name as much as you should. I mean, he's won. He's been to three top eights at the LVO, or two top eights at the LVO. And he's won Adepticon. Yes. He's been on the ETC team numerous times. He's extremely yeah. good. And he's good with a variety of armies. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't want to pump up his ego too much. He's already he's already got, he's already thinks pretty highly of himself. I'm just Brad's a great guy. Um, so check that out. And of course, you can consider them for some 40K coaching services. And last but not least, there's a little podcast called Chapter Tactics. Yeah, not very big on YouTube. Well, it's about as big as all the other podcasts, except 40K Stat Center, which is killing it on the YouTube. The last one with Lawrence is like yeah. just crushing Which the makes sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of the Lawrence Baker episode, uh, Lawrence actually had a seventh round because he got second place undefeated with Grey Knights, and so he got the first place player. And they played a seventh round to determine the true winner. Um, like I don't know. for funsies? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. funsies. Like he got the, the person who got first place and he went undefeated second place. And so they played a seventh round, which is super cool. I wish we could do that for all of the events. Just kind of have, have like a one game played, you know, true undefeated. Uh, but so if you're interested in that, I definitely recommend going to Tabletop Tactics and checking that out. Oh, they did it as a video battle report. I, I think they did. I, I, I unfortunately only saw it in passing, but I saw... Uh, on tabletop tactics, the headline like the seventh round, and and you know it was about the the undefeated Grey Knights list that won second and stuff. So, well, good for him, and it's always nice to see a nice guy do so well. Lawrence yes. is a, is a really really nice guy. I, I don't know him like that well, but in my interactions with him, I've always been like I'm a pretty I like to think I'm a good judge of character, and I've always been struck by him as being like a really genuine. He's dude. a he's a very nice guy, very good guy, good dude, and a, a really good player. Like I remember he went to the LVO a couple of years. Back back in seventh uh, with with Dark Eldar, which were, were at the time considered to be a low tier army, and he won with like a jet. Where he almost he was he missed one top eight point, by one point. One point. I remember that chapter tactics episode. Yeah, he missed uh, with not with pure Dark Eldar. He had a Scath Thatch Wraith Knight uh, and like 30, 30 or forty Reaver jet bikes. Yeah, it was a, such a cool list, and yes. he just missed the top eight. It was I was bummed. Yeah, but yeah, check that out and. Grey Knights are really, really on the up and up, uh, which is great. I, I think that uh, everyone wants to see some more variety. And it's interesting because Lawrence has kind of been like first mover in the market, so to speak. And he did it with pig, two big units of paladins. And that's quickly people have gravitated to it. But and I personally, and I, I haven't tested it, so I, my opinion, to take it with a grain of salt. I actually think that the strike spam with, inter- with the, uh, interceptors or interceptors would be better because it's you, you have so many units and they do so much damage and you have a ton of mobility but again i haven't tested it so i don't know because um, the paladin bombs require a ton of characters to support them to give them all the buffs and the strike squads and interceptors don't don't need that they can run around and operate independently um but i you know remains to be seen and i think it'd be cool if there was multiple good lists yeah i think i think this is the era it's definitely the era of space marines however i think it's the era of of the peck so the marine equivalent is the mech the meq now the peck is the primaris equivalent um, which is two multiple wound t4 three up save two up save and cover bodies uh i think and that's what paladins are although they've, they've got more than two ones obviously uh so i i think the meta is just kind of moving towards you know those kind of units and unfortunately gray knight strike squads to me strike me as a an msu army that gives up a ton of points um a ton of kills and obviously has a high damage output but anytime you play an msu army though like in itc format or any format like ours that gives you points for killing um i always just assume i'm going to lose kill more with an msu army and i mm-hmm. play i play around it 
right? Like if I play a knight army, I always assume I'm going to lose hold more. Yeah. Right. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like you just, you just plan around it. Right. Like when I, in my mind, in my mental game, when I'm preparing, I'm like, okay, I, I always need to get kill more if I'm giving up hold more. And I always need to get hold more if I'm giving up kill more or vice versa. Right. So it's like, you just plan for it. And then the game comes down to those cr- critical turns with those swing one way or the other. Um, and then of course you just, you know, you have to pick smart on your secondaries and such. So I don't, I don't think there's any detriment to playing an MSU army at all. Um, I think it's still probably harder to play an elite army, but you know, Lawrence just did pretty well with it. So we shall see how it develops and a good kind of a good way, segue, a good plug. If you do like playing in a, a, a large events that do have a single undisputed winner, a true champion, check out the BAO. It's uh, looks like it's going to be a super major this year. Probably. Hopefully it should. And uh, we have enough time uh, logistically that we will have one undefeated player at the end. So it's going to be an event that generates a lot of points. And if you want to come check out San Francisco in the Bay Area, you can buy those tickets now. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see everybody there. Yeah, the BAO is a great event. So let's take a, uh, take a look at some of the new releases this week. GW came out with, uh, or they're, they're teasing us a little bit with the latest Psychic Awakening book. And boy, have these been coming out quickly. Um, this one we know features at least orcs and, uh, they're going to be releasing some more information. It's going to be pretty exciting. They've been showing off one of the new models, Makari, which would indicate that Gaz is somewhere in the mix because Makari is Gaz's little buddy and he, you know, he's the flag waver, the, the, the banner bearer. I do like that model. Oh, it's great. It's great. And you know, if this is an indicator that Gaz is coming with a new model, I cannot wait to see it because you know it's going to be awesome yeah i believe gaz was was teased in the at the LVL. yeah they're, they're teasing him in the preview we'll see of course you know you got to wait and be patient and see what we actually get but it seems to be that uh and the rules from makari are really funny he has like a two-up invul save <laughs> he gives other grots uh his leadership he has four wounds he's got a little stabba that he can shank you with Oh, he's so, a two-up invul and save. That is he's crazy. Un, he's suspiciously lucky. Oh. That's what the rule says. So, yeah, it is. It is pretty crazy, actually, but, like, whatever. Uh, and then we also got some cute little planes for Aeronautica and Imperialis. And, like I've been saying over and over again, I don't really have I, – I don't think – I don't have any – I'm not putting the game down in any way. I don't really have a lot of interest in playing plane games. Like I don't, I'm not an X-Wing guy either. It just It just doesn't interest me. But if they were to incorporate this into Titanicus and start to give us Epic, I would be all over that in a hot second. I would be 100% down to play Epic. Also, excuse me, X-Wing isn't a plane game. It's a spaceship game. Eh. Eh. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, though. I, I think... I've just... I've never been drawn to any of the the plane games. Like, if they incorporate ground forces with them, I'm into it. Mm. But like, like you know, what was it like? Skies of Fury or Red Skies or whatever the hell? It's, any of Death them? Death of the Skies. You're talking about the old yeah, GW supplement. Any of them that have come out, oh my gosh. like like this, I've no, I just have not been drawn to it. Um, yeah, but back. To I'm what not you were putting saying. them down at all. I'm sure they're really fun games. It just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, but, but Epic, though, I agree. I I mean, I honestly think they should have just came out with that instead of Aeronautic Imperialis. Or just incorporate them all together. Like, I would love to play that scale of a game yeah. with Titans. And look at this cute little vulture. Look at this guy. <laughs> look at him go. It's actually really well-painted. It is, small yeah. Model. And the Barracuda. Yeah. So it's like, it would be so rad to play that scale. 
because then you would have real army. Well, maybe not armies, but like company scale engagements larger than that. And it would just, it would feel more I don't know, true to the fluff. Yeah. It would also be a cheap, you know, easier to get into and, and uh, games might be faster. I don't know. It, I agree with you though. I think I've always liked the idea of Epic. And when I first started playing 40 K, I was super bummed to know that Epic wasn't a thing anymore. Yeah, and a lot of the mission design elements that we have today, the the really cool dynamic missions, a lot of that has its roots in Epic. Um, 40K missions out of the book used to be really, really simple for the most part. And Epic had all these like layers to the missions. Um, really cool stuff. And a lot of what we do now, that that's where the inspiration came from was the way it was done in Epic. Mm. So... It's a it's a great game system. A lot of the old models are really funny looking now, uh, really fun, really, goofy. Really funny but a lot of the cool new big kits we have are all they come straight from Epic. Hmm. Um, really, really fun. So I, I would love to see that happen. Who knows if it will or not? But um, gosh, that would be cool. All right. So the hot topic right now on every or most every competitive 40k gamer's mind. Uh, kind of what's filling the interwebs ch- uh, chatter is the update to the ITC season. We've largely settled on uh, most of the big issues, but uh, the missions were in the beta phase right now. So we have one more weekend of testing and a huge thank you to everybody who has taken the time to send us their feedback. Really, d- it's better not to email it directly in because um, as you could all imagine, it's, I can't really re- respond to all of it. I try to, but it's just, it's a lot. Um, It's better to go through your regional rep or your local TO and then have them kind of aggregate it and collate it and then come into the ITC TO group on uh, Facebook and communicate, kind of be your your representative. Um, There's just too many people now to to interact with everybody on an individual basis. Also a pro tip as well, uh, comment it too. If you put it in the comment section on any of our videos, Much Reese, more Reese reads them yeah. all. I read them all. Uh, you know, we we take the time to read those comments. And uh, generally for us, it's easier to go and do uh, YouTube or FrontlineGaming.org, uh, read the comment section, respond to those, than to respond to the sometimes hundreds of emails that we get, right? So, uh, you know, just just a little pro tip if you, if you definitely if you definitely want to also it just engages other people as well and invites other people to con- converse and maybe change your opinion or give you the option to change other people's opinions. Uh, you know, not that that's very common on the internet, but it might happen. You know, it's, I've noticed that at least in the ITCTO community, like you don't get this ridiculous vitriol and flame war. Like everyone's very, like for the most part, people are very reasonable yes. and respectful because it's like, and that's the reason why we formed that group is so that we could have, meaningful conversations without the trolls and everyone has skin in the game, right? Like they all have a, a something to lose if the group doesn't perform its function. And that's why it's so easy to get things done that way. Right. And, it, and, and, and I want to say a thank you to everybody in the group for communicating by and large, maturely professionally without any of the, you know, ridiculous nonsense that you see in a lot of like you know, the kind of the open groups, um, where it's, it can be difficult to communicate because there's people that are just being trolls uh, and not, you know, not producing anything besides maybe a, a laugh from somebody. So it has been great to be able to work in that kind of an environment. Um, and it, you just, it gets things done. So again, if you, if you want to be a part of the conversation and you're not a TO, 
just talk to your TO, express your concerns, your re- ITC regional rep, and um, they'll they'll put it, put it forth in the group. Yep, they can so, also do that too. Yeah, and it, it just it works so much easier that way. As things scale up, you don't really have a choice. You have to do it that way. But yeah, leaving a comment is a really good way to get noticed, on uh, especially on the blog, even more so than on YouTube. But let's talk about some of the dialogue, some of the things we've noticed uh, as we update these missions. Because there's uh, there's been a ton of really good feedback, a ton of really bad feedback too, to be honest. <laughs> but you know that's you know that's the way these things go. Um, but I wanted to address some of the things that have come up because there are some misconceptions. Um, one of the kind of like a vocal minority of people that have voiced an opinion about the new deployment, by and large, the new deployment type, which is all or nothing deployment, no seas, has been extremely positively received. The vast majority of people have been very, very positive on it. Um, but there's been a kind of a vocal minority, uh, uh, not to you know demean them or, or make them sound like you know their opinion doesn't matter. It totally does. But there's been a group of people that have been very um, expressive about thinking that it's not a good way to go about doing things. And the number one reason people have cited for saying that they think all or nothing no seas deployment is bad is they think it makes armies with infiltrators too strong, specifically Raven Guard. So we went to the friendly neighborhood Falcon, ah, asked him to put some numbers together, and he was kind enough to do so. So he went and collated all the data from the LVO, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of games played. Um, tons and tons of information. A, a statistically significant sample set. And he went through and collated all of the win percentages for factions in the two different deployment types. Because for those of you that remember, previously in the ITC, even missions were all or nothing. Odd missions were alternating deployment. And counter to kind of counterintuitively, to be fair, a lot of people thought that this would be the opposite. Uh, Raven Guard, armies that infiltrate, Raven Guard's the obvious example, right, of where this comes into play the most. One 75% of the time in uh, alternating deployment and one only 53% of the time in all or nothing deployment. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. When they have to deploy everything at once, they are about a coin flip on their win ratio. When it's alternating deployment, they have a 75% win ratio. They're the most powerful army in the game in alternating deployment, more than Iron Hands by a significant amount. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing in against Raven, if you played against Raven Guard at the LVO, you only had a one in four chance of winning your game in alternating deployment. In alternating deployment, that's insane. Awful. And it's but it's funny because a lot of the people that are saying, "Oh, you can't do this; it makes them too good." The reality is the exact opposite, like dramatically the opposite. Yeah. Now, to play devil's advocate, and also for those of you listening, uh, there's a, an infograph on signals from the frontline on the blog at frontlinegaming.org uh, for you to look at, and it shows all of the factions and how they performed, and I actually think it's a very interesting graph to look at, so you should definitely go to frontlinegaming.org and click on the show notes and just scroll down a little, and the graph is right there. You can't miss it. It's you know bar graph, blue and orange, uh, but the, to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, this is done with seize the initiative as uh, a thing, right? This was done at the LVO. Uh, we don't have actual stats to show otherwise, although it it does a very good it does show a very good indication of what it would look like. For, thing, you know, this is the thing with that because if somebody brought that up, like, oh, this this data set isn't significant or isn't meaningful because it includes well, seize, and I'm meaningful, like, but... I'm like, seize is gonna have a my a tiny 
tiny, tiny impact yeah. on this. And this and this is why. This is why Seas is not going to have a significant impact on this. In alternating deployment, it, it it's almost meaningless. It just means you lost the role to go first, right? So in alternating deployment, you're going to deploy the way you're going to deploy regardless, mm-hmm. right? You're not... In an all or nothing deployment, you're, like the seize is going to have an almost insignificant impact, and this is why. If you're going first as Raven Guard and you're going to deploy everything on the line, like you're, it, it, you either get seized on or you don't. You're in your mind. You're either saying I'm taking the risk of getting seized on, or I'm not. It's you're never going to have an instance where someone is like, or you may, but they're not, obviously not a very good player. No one's going to deploy half their army forward and half of it back in case they get seized on. That would be a zero-sum, I mean, a, a pointless, fruitless choice. You either risk it, go all out, and then the result is the same, or you decide not to risk it and you don't deploy on the line because you're afraid of getting seized on. But if you're a Raven Guard player that brought a bunch of Centurions, you're going to risk it every single time. <laughs> like, that is just the way your army functions. Like one in a million games, one in 20 games, let's call it that, someone might go, I really just genuinely can't take the risk. So it's it, it, it's going to have a tiny impact on these numbers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you for the most part. I don't I don't know if it's going to be that small because there's a l- definitely a little bit of a psychological impact, although there's no way to measure you know, how relevant that impact is. Um, but the idea of a seize also does you know make players make certain decisions or force them to make certain decisions that they wouldn't normally otherwise. So there's a level of security when you don't have the CZ initiative, which is also, I think the reason why so many people are happy with removing the CZ initiative role, but that's just splitting hairs. Uh, I, I do agree with you for the most part. Yeah. It, like it'll, it'll move the number a little bit. And the thing is we'll be able to compare this now as we collect data on the way it is in the new system. And as I've, I've told people who have expressed concern if it's way out of whack and it sucks and it's not working, we'll change it. Yep. Like we don't ever stick to things just be out of, you know, being stubborn or whatever. We make decisions based number one off data, number two off what people want. So to that point, the other significant data set that we have, really the only other significant data set that we have was the London Grand Tournament, the LGT. It's the second biggest 40K event in the world right after the LVO. Um, and they ran ITC missions modified at the time to be all or nothing deployment, no seize the initiative, right? Basically the exact same thing that we're doing now, but just with, you know, different secondaries and the primary was just very slightly different. It's almost, it's almost, it's the best possible example we could have to look at, to, to gauge how it worked possible because there was about 2000 games played at the LGT. Um, they had like over 400 people in five rounds. Right, so roughly two two thousand games. That's a good amount of data. Going into it, uh, Zach had been pulling the attendees. Uh, Zach is the head judge of the event, a friend of mine, and he said it was about fifty fifty in favor of of no seas before the event. After the event, on the exit poll, he said it was almost ninety eight percent of the people that responded said they liked it and they wanted to keep seas out of the game. That is overwhelming data like to me that's that is convincing like you you can't deny that someone's opinion on it is important but it's just when you put it on the scales that sort of feedback is much much more meaningful in my opinion as a data-driven person 
and looking at it and it, having gone and played in it myself, Frankie and my and myself, we all preferred it dramatically because when you know you're going second, you plan for it. And then the thing with to to further um, kind of to make it even more appealing in the format that we have going now, being able to re-roll the deployment map is so powerful, right? If you know you're going second and you can re-roll it, it gives you really good odds of getting a deep deployment zone, like 83% or something like that. Like a two out of three or four out of six of the deployments are deep deployments. And if you, with a re-roll, if I remember, if I'm doing my mental math correctly, it's almost 90% that you get, um, that you get the uh, one of the deep deployments if you go all, all out for it. And so that really gives you the opportunity to hide, to, to, to plan on going second. Um, in my opinion, once people adapt to these missions, going second is, I, I think, going to be better than going first. Yeah, um, I, don't, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty bold prediction. Uh, there are some really good first-turn armies right now still. Uh, but, you know, obviously we'll wait and see. Um, one to, thing to, to interject really quickly sure. a lot of really really good players that i've been speaking to like like nick nonavati uh he he is his uh, reaction that is going second is uh it might be too good in the new format interesting yeah interesting although he did go uh he did lose my fantasy <laughs> team i drafted him with my first pick and he went one and one at the lvo <laughs> yeah so so nick nonavati no offense buddy the brown the brown magic is definitely Got some uh, some teal or tan in that brown. It's not not the brownest brown that you can get. Anyways, uh, joking aside, uh, yeah, I mean, going second has always been historically since I've been playing 40k. Going second has actually been the 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 better players option, or or meaning that the better players usually going second would still win games uh, in general. So, but uh, I don't know. I look at lists like man Ichima's imperial fist list that just wants to go first and then knows that it's going first and will deploy the whirlwind scorpius is on the line so that their 48 inch range is essentially pointless so you can't deploy out of their their range and then just win right and that's well, also an maybe. extreme too maybe, maybe you're right, right. maybe and, the th- <clears throat> and to, to, i'm sorry to interject again buddy sure sure i, I don't mean <laughs> to uh well you know what i'll, I'll co- let's circle back around to that and uh, you finish your thought. Sure. That's a whole different conversation. So, so we'll so, come back. To so that. my thought was is that uh, I think seize the initiative. I think that for sure everyone I talk to wants to remove seize the initiative. I, I don't think anyone's actually arguing that. I think it's there's been a few. No, oh, well those those people are flat out wrong. I'm like, uh, dude, if your whole def- I will admit that <laughs> if your whole defensive plan hinged on something that happens one in six times, like if you're planning to seize, you have a terrible strategy. Yeah, they, Anyone who thinks that season initiative belongs in this game as it stands right now, I think I think you're probably incorrect. I, I will uh, gently agree disagree with you. However, the more the argument I've heard from from uh, good players and people have reached out to me that makes a little more sense to me, and maybe not necessarily one I agree with, but uh, just one that makes more sense to me is the the power of having no seas and going first very specifically for certain armies, uh, which may be a problem with space marines because, let's be honest, they're really talking about space marines. This, we're not worried about Tyranids going first and blowing you blowing you off the table with Hive Guard. Like, that's just not happening. Um, it is space marines. Uh, so how much of that is space marines being an issue or how much of that is the deployment missions? Um, <clears throat> and that's those are the kind of questions we have to ask ourselves when we're designing these, right? So uh, think bigger picture, you know, don't just think about the missions themselves, but, but as for season initiative, I, I think everyone wants that gone. Yeah. Like, m- almost everybody. Like almost. there's been, there's been some people that are like, 
because it, it, it the rule barely comes into play. Um, I mean, we've all had those tournaments where we go and we get seized on like three times. It's happened to all of us. But generally speaking, it doesn't come into play very often. And if you look at the good players play, they often don't even roll to seize, right? Like if you go back to the LVO and you check the games with like Brandon or, you know, uh, Richard Siegler, when they were forced to go uh, set, when they, they their opponent wanted them to go first or second or what, you know, whatever the case may be. A lot of times they just go like, I am going second yes. and they deploy for it and they, they don't even roll to seize. Yes. I've actually had seen people at backfire when like, and they roll and then they seize like, oh man, I actually didn't want to seize because I deployed <laughs> defensively. But it has a huge psychological impact. It, yeah. it, it's actual impact on the game. When it comes into, it usually doesn't come into play. When it does, it usually ends the game in a negative play experience or it, it doesn't do anything at all, right? Like, it's just such an extreme thing. And it just, the, the sooner it's out of here, the better. Yes. In my opinion. Um, and so to, your, to come back to your point, the issue really that we're talking about has nothing to do with deploying all or nothing. It has everything to do with space Marines. Yes. Space Marines are the problem. And in this period of going through the ITC missions and updating them, and I spend almost my whole day communicating with TOs from all around the world all day long, listening to what they're saying, reading the comments, trying to really get my head wrapped around what are the key issues that we need to address with the missions, what's going to make the most people happy, what's going to provide the fairest experience. And the hatred of Space Marines right now is like, it's. I really was a little out of touch with how much people are anti-Space Marines right now. Yeah. Because we've been so busy. Like, I usually keep my finger on the pulse of the community very, very closely. It's my literally my job. But with the move and the LVO and then taking some time to decompress, I kind of like, I, I was a little shocked. Like, people were talking about banning Space Marines in, like, GT-level events. Like, people were, like, vitriolic. Like, I'm not going to events. So... I wanted to address that, right? Because like a list like Manny Chima's, which pat on the back to him, he he cracked the code and the bro the Broviathan list too. Like you know, pat on the back, they figured it out. They they, they they that was clever of them. Those lists are not good for the game. I don't think they the guys that made them say this. You know, when Manny Chima's list is tabling people on turn one and two, that's stupid. That has nothing to do with the missions. That has nothing to do with the deployment. That has everything to do with a, a, a faction that's too strong right now. And it's very popular, right? That's what's providing the negative play experience. So if you're out there and you're, you know, really bummed out, just, you know, oftentimes GW will um, address things in FAQs. Um, they tend to come fairly predictably. So keep your eye on, on the Warhammer community page. And I would be willing to bet that GW is well aware of the problem. And I would be willing to bet that they're going to look to address it. We'll have to wait and see. You know, we don't know. Um, but hang in there. What I'm trying to say is don't lose hope. Hang in there. Um and maybe, you know, this will be addressed sooner than later. I think we can all hope for that. As as I, I told a friend, months and months of of complaining and feedback sent to GW got us our powerful space marines because they were so underpowered for and so that long. Is what, that is exactly why it happened. <laughs> now, 100% why it happened. Now, months and months will get us 
out of the Space Marine meta yeah. of complaining and feedback. Anyways, uh, one final thing on this graph before I, I moved on. Well, was, let's, um, let's talk more about it, actually, because there's, there's some a lot. really interesting data yeah. to go over the, here. The one I, that jumped out to me was actually White Scars and their performance at Delvio. So White Scars had an almost 70% chance of beating you, which is actually really high considering Raven Guard was 75. It passes Iron Hands. Yes. So almost a 70% chance of beating you at the LVO if they deployed I go, you go. So if they fully deployed first. However... All, all or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. However, if they did alternating deployment, they had a 35% win rate, which is the worst in the... The worst at the LVO uh, for alternating. So... Yeah, the all... Period. The, so like... And here's another selling point of this deployment type. All of the Marines were worse in all or nothing deployment. I'm going to say that again. Every single chapter of Space Marines was worse in alternate, or I'm sorry, in all or nothing deployment Ex- and better in alternating deployment. So except if for White Scar. Except for White Scar by an enormous. Yeah, they, they had a 30%, which is, which is, that kind of extreme was crazy. Right. Um, but go back to, go back to finishing your thought. So I'm just saying, like, for people that are bummed out about Space Marines, the all or nothing no seize deployment makes them less powerful. So it's better for the game yes. to do it, right? And that's why some people were getting ups- like upset with me because I, I tend to I try my best to always be you know polite and patient. But I you know, I had a couple people that were being really pressing and I'm like, You're just wrong, man. Like I have all the data, I know you don't have it, but you're just wrong. Like they're not better in alternating deployment. Mm. I'm sorry, they're not better in all, all or nothing. They're better in alternate alternating deployment by a significant amount, except for white scars. So really the, the issue that we should think about is is this is this trading the lion in the room That's for, exactly. the, for the gorilla in that the is room? What else. So if you actually remove the blue from this graph, so all you have is orange, white scars would have the highest win percentage at almost 70% yeah. instead of 75% for Raven Guard. Uh, and you know, does all or nothing deployment or switching to all or nothing deployment, will that make white scars even better? Will that make it so that I mean, the best players run them and then it goes up to 75% win rates? Uh, we don't know. We don't know yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly they become the powerhouse. Yeah. And as somebody that plays white scars, I can, what's, you know, it's funny. I, I was going to say I can attest to this, but at the LGT, the biggest tournament I played them at, the one game I lost, I went first. And it was my first game going first. And I deployed hyper aggressively on the line. I was like, yes, finally. Did you get C's? Oh, no, there was no, no, C's. no, there's no C's. And my opponent deployed, it was Vanguard. My opponent, my opponent deployed his entire army in the back corner. And I realized I couldn't get to him except for with maybe one unit. And I was like, mistakes have been made. <laughs> I was like, son of a gun. But then I, I was still in the game until my repulsor exploded and killed five units of mine. And then I was uh-huh. like, well, I lost. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, to the, to the point, like with me playing White Scars, I, I feel like I'm a relatively competent player. I'm not, you know, the best in the world or anything. Um, when I did go first, it was the one game I lost, right? So I, it's not absolute by any means, but I think that's the thing that we should actually be talking about is are we putting, are we simply taking the crown off of Raven Guard and putting it on uh, white scars. The numbers would say yes. Yeah. Now, the, there weren't as many white scars players as there were Raven Guard and Iron Hands and Imperial Fist players. It's a smaller sample set by it, a lot. It is a smaller sample set. However, the people playing white scars were also really good. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, the other mitigating factor I think that's really important to this conversation to make it relevant is I can't, I, I cannot underscore enough how powerful the reroll deployment map is. So if you're playing White Scars, right, and before, let's say it was Dawn of War, you're like, I'm in deep doo-doo, 
right? Or Pony Dino War, even worse. Pony Dino War is just a crap deployment, really. It's so bad. There's almost no redeeming quality to it, but I digress. Um, if you're in that deployment and they're going first and it's difficult for you to hide, that's really bad, right? But with a reroll, if again, if you can get like Hammer and Anvil or Vanguard, uh, one of the really deep deployments, uh, the, the White Scars are not going to be able to get to you on the first turn. So it's, it, it, it's such, it makes such a big difference. And that's why the people that were saying that the defender should be able to like choose their map, dude, it's, that's way too strong. Way, 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 way too strong. You build yeah, an army to go be... second and you just squash people. You literally always play, or, or you don't always do it because sometimes your opponent will go second. But whenever you go second, you just, you know exactly what map you're yeah. playing on. What so secondaries half, you're going to choose. Yeah, 50% of the time, statistically, you will be playing on the map of your choice. It's just not, it's, it, it's not good. And like, they'll, they'll, you'll, you'll build your army to play on one deployment type. And you'll just optimize for it. It's bad. You'll end up playing, because people could play now, like, oh, I played uh, Hammer and Anvil three games in a row. It's so annoying. The reroll lets you mitigate that. But if people can optimize for it, that is exact. You will play on the same two deployment maps the entire tournament. That's why I think it's really important to not give the defender too much agency in determining it. The reroll, I think, is just enough. It's very strong. And it, if you have a, a deployment map that you hate playing on, you're only going to play on it 3% of the time with the reroll. So... It, it, you, you still have to plan for it, sort of, but the odds of getting it are very, very low. Yeah. Now, here's here's something that I was thinking about, uh, because like you said, it, if you are the defender and you have a reroll, you have a 85-plus percent chance. I think of, it's 88, 89%. Um, yeah. A three-up reroll. I'm, I used to know this forward and backwards, but if I remember correctly, a three-up reroll to get the preferred, the desired result. What we're saying is, is if you have a four and six chance of getting a, a deep map, that's what you're going for, and you go for a reroll if you don't get it, then it's basically a three-up reroll, which I believe is like 89% chance. Have you ever considered giving the uh, player, the attacker, like a veto? No. No? The, the thing is, like, like with the vetoing maps, um, like they did it at the Atlanta Open event, and I talked to the guys there, and they were like, you end up playing on the one of two maps every single time. Because well, both players had a veto. That means you're only there's only a chance of getting four. Yeah. It's just... It sounds cool because it's making it more predictable, but what happens is that you just game for those maps, right? Like if I have a shooting army, I'm always going to veto a pointy down a war. You'll literally never play on that map ever. If I have an assault army, I'm always going to veto hammer and or whatever, Vanguard. Right. You'll literally never play on it. So you've just eliminated two variables from the game. So your, your chances of getting a map that you want become vastly, vastly higher and the odds of getting ones you don't want become zero and I, I don't think that's good for the game so 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 i didn't suggest two vetoes just just one veto just giving the attacker one veto i don't think the attacker needs any other advantage honestly i, I really don't i think what we're trying to do is make it as appealing to go second as go first i know we're never going to really fully get there but right now especially with some of the way the secondaries work and the bonus point being easier to get um, and going second, having an advantage in board, like being able to see exactly what you need to do to outscore your opponent every turn. Um, and now with the reroll on the map, I, th I really think second is going to be the better option. All right. And I could be wrong, of course. We'll have to wait and see. Um, and the, the biggest complaint has been going first is too good. So we're trying to mitigate that, right? And I think, I think we've gone far enough. I don't think we should go any further either direction because I, I, I feel like it's, it'd be too much. Right on. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, and then to keep everybody in the loop, um, the other things that we're discussing right now for fine-tuning, 
the missions, some of the feedback we've gotten has been uh, scoring the maneuver secondaries. And again, for those of you who are still getting up to speed, we split the secondaries into two categories and old school. <laughs> um, there's the seek and destroy secondaries, which are like basically kill stuff. The maneuver secondaries, which are uh, board uh, positioning. You have to take one from each. The third can be whatever you want. And um, one of the, the biggest points of feedback we got was that the board control secondaries were, were it took too long to max them out because you got one point per turn. And in so you know in some instances the game didn't finish or whatever you literally couldn't max it out. But the kill stuff in some cases you could get them in one turn. So people felt it wasn't even. So the response that we had was to enable for all of the board control secondaries to be able to score two points in one turn. However, now with playtesting, we have found that people are saying it's too easy to max out the maneuver secondaries. Um, if you go first, you could max out some of them by the top of turn two. And that's a bit silly. That's a bit much. So what we're going the what we're going to change is that you can't score two points on the maneuver secondaries until turn two. Yeah, that's fine. That's it makes it I so like that, that you have to go to at least turn three to max them out. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a really good compromise. I like it a lot. Um, we're going to roll with that. Uh, the other one that we're looking at uh, rolling out, I'm 99% certain that we're going to do it. Uh, we had a suggestion to combine Big Game Hunter and Titan Slayer into a single mission uh, instead of having two separate. And it's the, the change would be for every 10 wounds dealt to units with the uh, vehicle or monster keyword, you get a point. It's a little less punishing for knights. And then it incorporates little vehicles like Venoms and stuff like that, which before we tried to avoid because we're like killing one Venom shouldn't give you a point. With big game hunter so now basically you kill two venoms you get a point that seems completely reasonable to myself and most other people i've spoken to and uh that will give you the opportunity to to kind of make it a little bit easier um and then no matter what we don't have these weird things where some vehicles count some vehicles don't count why does a um a rhino count for as much as a repulsor which is much harder to kill etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. i think it's a good change yeah i, I agree uh it, it also stops it all it also hits multiple there aren't like like uh, three riptides. Yep. We'll give we'll give up the full I think they're fifteen wounds. I don't thir- fourteen. I can't remember. I mean as long as they're fourteen wounds or more, which might actually be right, uh they give up the full yeah, the full four points. Exactly. Which is, right. which is so if you kill all three which is really hard, I admit. Yeah. <laughs> However I rarely you, ever kill all the riptides. Yeah. Um It's just it's more fair, right? <clears throat> like moving to wounds, I think just in general is just a better idea. Because um, now Reaper accounts for Primaris Marines, which was a huge complaint, right? Like Primaris Marines don't, you know, you can't get the Reaper on them. Well, now, you, now you can. Yeah. So it's a little bit more fair. Um, I think it's a positive change. And then finally, the the last change that we were strongly, um, it, we're going to roll it out for the next weekend of play testing before we finalize these in, in the following week, was um, the feedback is that mission two, the three objective mission, the bonus point is too easy to get. It is. I think it's kind of cool. It's very exciting. But if you have an army that's not able to go into the middle of the table, it's you're, it's bad. It's really rough. Um, so the the change that we have proposed that we're going to roll out for playtesting uh, in the next week and a half is that instead of each, so one objective goes in the middle, and instead of each player placing an objective in their own deployment zone, your opponent puts yours in your deployment zone, and there's going to be restrictions on it. What we're talking about right now is that it has to be um, within nine inches of the uh, of a table edge. So you can't put it right on the deployment the line, right? It has to be a little deep into your deployment zone. 
Um, but then when the player, your opponent placing it, it's going to be a lot more dynamic and difficult to do. And then the bonus point will shift to holding the one you placed and the middle. So holding the one you placed in your opponent's deployment zone? And the middle objective. So it'll be really hard. It won't be as hard as it was when you're when you place it in your own deployment zone. Because previously what it was is that each player placed an objective in their own deployment zone. There was one in the middle. And then to get the bonus point, it was the same thing. You had to get the one in your opponent's deployment zone and the middle. But now since you're placing it in your opponent's deployment zone, you're going to put it in a place that you think it's easier for you to get to. Mm. And then holding the middle, it'll be a little bit easier to get. It's still going to be difficult, but it will be not as ridiculously easy. Because the way it was now where it's hold yours and hold the middle, we were seeing both players scoring the bonus point in both in the same turn. Yes. Like it was just like back and forth. I actually kind of thought it was fun, but um, it created scenarios where you could run away with the score really, really easily if your army was good at taking the middle. Yeah. So now it's uh, you have to hold the one that you placed in your deployment, your opponent's deployment zone, and the middle of the board. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I like that. I think it's a reasonable compromise. Um, so then the the mission that's going to still be really easy to get the bonus is going to be mission three, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's where there's two. You put two objectives outside of deployment zones one in each player's deployment zone, and then you get it for holding the two out in the middle in no man's land. So it's not as easy as two, but it's still going to be pretty easy. That's that's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. I think it's fine because um, holding two, it's easier. It's much easier to stop someone from holding two than holding um, uh, one, especially if you're going second. So we'll see. Yeah, that one, that one might cause some issues because if you're the person who deploys second, uh, you essentially get to if and if you if you want the objectives to be close to each other and you know you've got an aggressive mobile army, uh, you will always be guaranteed to have two objectives within twelve inches of yeah. each other because you just look at where your opponent deploys their objective and you just deploy your objective as close as possible to that in an advantageous spot for you and then you bum rush that part of the board and over you've got, and over you just throw yeah, waves at it yeah and that part of the board plus your your deployment your objective which should be fairly easy to hold uh, means you get hold more and the bonus and then maybe kill more because you've got an aggressive army. But that, that's uh that is favorable for aggressive mobile armies, especially going second. And it's another example of why I think if you build an army specifically to go second in this format, I think you're going to be, you're going to have a big advantage because yes. winning the, winning the mission, like you may not win the gunfight, but winning the mission will be much easier for you to do. Yes. So, and that and that's intentional. Uh, and then finally, one of the biggest points of feedback we had um, was that if you're playing like a, a knight army, the maneuver secondaries are really difficult to get, if not almost impossible in some cases. Like behind enemy lines was really the only one that was, you know, relatively easily achievable. Um, so what we've decided to do is to allow Titanic units to get King of the Hill. So if you put two knights within nine inches of the middle of the table, you get a point. If you somehow get four, you get two. It's going to be difficult to do. Um, it's still not easy to do. Knight armies tend to take casualties a lot quicker than they have in the past. But it now is achievable, right? Like if you get two knights in there, you're getting a point. Um, and, you know, it gives you a maneuver secondary besides behind enemy lines that is achievable. Hmm. It's still going to be hard, though. Knight, knight armies struggle with board control big time. But and they're not as popular as they were, so it's, it doesn't apply to as many people. Most people take Imperial Super Chaos. Yeah, Poor things had a forty percent win rate at the LVO. Who did the Knights? Yeah, they're, Imperial they're Knights. Forty percent. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty bad. 
Well, pure knight armies aren't good. Like they're, they're just not right. Like they're, 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 they're not that great. They're, they suck at winning missions. Um, that's why you t- tend to see him taking his soup, but we wanted to give them something, right? Yeah. Otherwise, the the maneuver secondaries are really difficult for them. Yeah, it's so funny that they've always been the boogeyman since they've been announced in in 40k. They've always been the oh no, you if you can't kill a knight, you lose automatically. Although they're super easy to beat, but uh, we, I've just always noticed we give them a lot more attention than other factions, just as a whole, as a community. It's just pretty funny. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's because it's such an extreme army. Yes. Right? Like, it's T8, has a good save, good firepower, it's fast, it's good in melee. And it renders a lot of a normal army unusable almost. And that's why it's just, it doesn't always provide for a good play experience. Yeah. So, it is what it is. So, that's where we're at with the ITC missions. Again, thank you so much for all the feedback. Um, we really appreciate it. It helps to make these missions better. And I think we're on to something really, really good here as a result of all this collaboration. Um, like I said, the majority of the feedback we've gotten has been extremely positive. So I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a good season. Got a ton of events coming up. And of course, if you like the ITC, you think it's made your uh, match play gaming experience more exciting, consider supporting it financially via our Patreon. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. All of it goes back into the ITC and helping pay for everything that it takes to make this global organization function. We have so many events this weekend all around the world. Again, we got two majors, uh, the Warmer 40K ITC major event in uh, Midlothian, Virginia. We have the Prague Open GT in the Czech Republic, obviously in Prague. We have a GT, the Warp Storm in Earthingborough, oh, no. Earthing. Northamptonshire, Northamptonshire in the United Kingdom. That is the largest, the longest name I've ever seen. What I, can you even read that? Earthingborough? Yeah. Earth. That, I believe, is where uh, the ring wraiths come from to chase the hobbits uh, that live in Northamptonshire. <laughs> I thought that was Midlothian. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool name for a place. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's a gazillion other events all around the world. Get out there, get your points. And then of course we have quite a few, uh, of Sigmar events coming up in the month of, uh, February as well in the remainder of the month. Get out there and get your points. All right. Your current 40 K ITC top five Vic VJ leading the pack with four events already and 739 points. Wow. Wow. This might be a name you'll be hearing a lot because that's commitment. I hope I hope it's a name that we're hearing a lot. The that's, VV. Yeah, I like it. The, the double V. Double V. That is uh, four events in four weeks, and we're four weeks into the season. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty good, too. 700 points is, is not bad. That's uh, more than 150 points an event. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and then we have Phil Barfoot in second. Reed Stowe in third, Ryan Williams in fourth, and James Kelling in fifth. Hobby track, James Weston currently leading the pack in first place, followed by Ariel Cortez in second, Marshall Peterson in third. Richard Kilton, a name we often see on this list, is tied for fourth with Colton Hatch and John Lennon in sixth. No, there's that that the can hammer guys uh, screwed up, or either there was either an issue with BCP or there's a, a human error. Mm. Um, we're still waiting for that to get corrected, but it'll right get on. fixed. Um, 
They just took more current top five. We got Matthew Jones in first, followed by Gareth Thomas in second, Lee Bachman in third, Justin Costello in fourth, Daniel Velasquez in fifth. Hobby track, AOS, Matt Abbott currently leading the pack, followed by Brian Blickle, Bickle, uh, Ryan Burwell in third, Chris Doherty in fourth, and Samuel Valdez in fifth. Current Underworlds top five. Christopher Avalos in first, P- Peter Rivera in second, Amon Kusaro in third, Victor Sofransky in fourth, Ooh, Rob Howard in fifth. That was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kill Team top five, Kyle Fierstad in first, Shane Watts in second, Alvaro Lorenzo in third, Will Reinbolt in fourth, and Kinty Sexy Fridge in fifth. That's that a is good, a sexy fridge. It's a good last The night. sexy fridge clan. Oh, yeah. All right, before we go on to paint commissions, wanted to briefly give a shout-out to Josh Jen at the Las Vegas ITC League. He's the league organizer for our local league here. Uh, I signed Reese and Frankie up for the league without them knowing. I just told them, hey, you're signed up. I'm sure they were going to sign up anyways, but I made sure of it. And so I wanted to take like five minutes to talk about what we were going to be running in the league before we move on to the end of the episode. Reese, what do you plan on running in the Las Vegas Open, Las Vegas League, not the Las Vegas Open League? Uh, I'm playing Tyranids. You're playing. Why are you playing Tyranids? Because well, I love my bugs, and I've been itching to play them. I like a lot of what Psychic Awakening brought them. Unfortunately, the FAQ took a lot of it back away for no reason, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. Um, but they brought, they gave them a lot of really, really good, useful tools. Uh, I like playing Nids. I like playing the underdog. And I think in the new ITC missions, Nids are going to be really, really good because they're very good at board control. And with the emphasis, with the switch to the missions really pushing board control, I think that gives them a big advantage. Uh, if I have good uh, good terrain, um, I can. I feel like I can withstand uh, most alphas. Like an artillery list, obviously there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But outside of that, I'm not really worried about most Alpha Strike lists because I think you can hide. Um, you have a lot of speed. And in my test game so far against Frankie, I lost the game, but that was just because I'm really rusty. It's not because of any deficit of my army. Um, I really feel like they have the tools to win the mission. They won't really win the fight very often, but they definitely can win the mission. And I like that. I think it, it's a very cerebral way to play the game. Yeah. I'm playing Space Marines. I, I don't care. I want to start winning games. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to start copy-pasting high win percentage LVO Space Marine lists. Which uh, which chapter are you going to play? Probably Raven Guard. Raven Guard were the first chapter that I gravitated towards. Although I might go back to Ultramarines. They still have a lot of good stuff. They're, they're good. And they're still good. And and they're not played very much. So they, they went from being the, the crazy, super awesome faction that everyone played to... The most under no salamanders are the most underplayed space marine, but which also I, I was thinking about going to salamanders too. And it's so funny because they have some ridiculous combos, some good stuff, and they just don't see them. And like, I know I was like, if people can figure out how to get them into position, they're going to be amazingly good. Yeah. But I guess people haven't figured that out. So space marine, space marine soup, that full the full thing there. But I, I'm excited to just start playing 40k games. Uh, I also like you uh, have been busy with since the basically since the black friday sale yeah uh, basically non-stop with the moving and everything and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to regular games of 40k weekly monthly well tournaments and stuff like that 
yeah, I'm looking forward to playing. And then Frankie's playing a super duper fun, chaos, like hyper aggressive, really cool list. Uh, he has two chaos knights, one double Gatling, one melee. And then the, the Moirax, the little knight, which with the double lightning locks, those things are ludicrous, ludicrously good. And then he has a um, Mortarian and um, some uh, cultists. And he's actually talking about switching it to Dirty Mike and the Boys, which I, <laughs> I think is a better choice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the Red Corsairs. Yeah, it's is, so much fun. Yeah, that's such a great detachment. It's it's a bummer when you when you need to screen because you don't have any screens. But now with the ability to reroll the deployment map, you might be able to get around it. Yeah, they're also a little more durable. They're just, I think they're just a little more efficient. The cultists are worthless. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Whereas with Dirty Mike and the Boys, you get a ton of CP. Uh, those units, I usually give mine uh, melee. I equip, I equip them for melee because they can advance and charge. Um, you, you, you'd you be surprised. They actually are really pretty useful and they're they're quick. Like you can move, advance, charge, get onto an objective. They're obsec. Um, you get a, a bunch of free relics and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. So I, I think it's the better choice. And it's just a fun, it's just a really, really fun army to play. It's so fast. It's good melee. Um, it's not going to win all the time. It has some weaknesses, but it's just a cool army. Hmm. All right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for episode 672 of Signals from the Frontline on the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to grab your BAO tickets if you haven't already done so. And keep your eye open. SoCal Open tickets are going to be going up for sale in the month of March. That's going to be a really, really cool event. Can't wait. It's just been gaining so much momentum. So we're really excited to see everybody there for that. In the meantime, happy gaming. Get out there. Please play test those ITC missions. Let us know what you think. And the following week, we will be nailing them down for the rest of the season. Also, if you're interested, go to frontlinegaming.org. Get a paint commission done. And if you're wondering what, if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering what some of these paint jobs look like, we've got a beautiful cell scene and some space wolves in the show notes for you to look at. Or go to flgpainstudio.com and you can see all kinds of what our studio does. All right, everybody, thank you for listening and happy gaming. <laughs> <laughs>